Compounding fruitfulness is the state of being evergreen and producing fruit in and out of season. Welcome to today's podcast and we're going to learn from the parable of the talents on how we can remain fruitful despite the seasons and the challenges that life throws at us. We will also learn the five R's of being fruitful. So keep it here with me, Dennis Nguyenya, as we unlock the nuggets from the parables of the kingdom. Yesterday we finished a cycle of seven days and that cycle was very deep, it was very uh, spiritual, it felt way out there, but uh, the more that you consume and imbibe of it, the more that uh, you'll actually begin to see how rich it, it is, how rich it is. So today we're beginning another cycle. Today is day eight, and um, eight signifies the number of new beginnings, so a new cycle of uh, uh, Rema and teaching. And we will be basing more majority of this uh, next seven days we on the teachings of Christ. So uh, thank you for joining us. Um, today I'm joined. I'm in the company of my dear wife. I'm in the company of my daughter, in the, in the company of my other family members, uh, my mom, my uh, my brother, my sister. So today is our, this is our, uh, what, what can we say, our Sunday service, <laughs> as, as we were to call it. So as we begin, Matthew 5.16 says that in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give God uh, give glory to your Father which is in heaven. So I know Sundays people are, you know, bombarded with a lot of content. Hey, man, from morning, just, you know, you just find sessions online, you, you find people online uh, preaching and teaching furiously, and others subtly, and others, you know, uh, being uh, uh, mysterious with their content. So this is why we do the evening sessions, um, and every day we we chop it up from 6.30 p.m. moving on forward. So today, we're going to look at the parable of the talents, yes, from Matthew chapter 25, from verse uh, 14, going down all the way till about verse, um, let me see, verse 30. So you'll allow me to read, uh, I'll take it in the ESV, and it says, uh, for it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Uh, to one he gave five talents, to another he gave two, to another he gave one, to each according to his ability, then he went away. I know this, t- this is something that you've heard over and over again, but I believe that we'll begin to unpack it in a, in a new, uh, not really new way, but just to give it more flesh. Huh? So the master had a total of how many talents? <laughs> eight. He had a total of eight. But why is it that one got five? Why is it that one got two? And why is it that one got one? We're going to unpack on that. So verse 16. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also... He who had the two talents made two talents more. 
But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he, uh, and, and he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And also, he who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. Verse 23, his master said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering uh, where you scattered no seed. Verse 25. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his, mas his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was my own, own what was my own with interest. So take the talent uh, from him, so take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will be will more be given and will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Loving Father, we come before your presence. Uh, thank you so much. We are connected through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Not, uh, we ask, O oh Lord, that you will give us enlightenment, enlighten our eyes, that you give us revelation, give us solutions, even as we unpack this word, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray and believe. Amen. Amen. And everybody said? Amen. Okay, at least you can hear them. <laughs> All right. So, um, verse 14. So, we'll begin to unpack from verse 14. Um, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. So, this man was wealthy. He was a master. He had servants. And when the scripture says he entrusted to them his property, it means that you are my representative figures that while I'm gone, I have three of you to represent me. You will represent me uh, by stewarding these five. You will represent me by stewarding these uh, two. You will represent me by stewarding this one. Uh, please, can you help with the kitten? Thank you. All right. So, you will trade on my behalf. Let's just give it a minute. You, you can open the door. Bye, kitten. <laughs> All right. So, back, 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 back to uh, what we're doing. So, in other words, 
he gave them the authority and the right to trade on his behalf. Okay? All right? So as the master would be, the servants would be, but more so in the trading of his talents. Now, talents here meant it's a weight. Talents was a measure of how they would weigh gold. Okay? So in the same way that if I was to give 100,000 to you, it would be in a stack. Sindio? Okay? Now, if I was to give the equivalent of gold and pieces of silver, it would be weighed and the weight of gold would determine, so they were not counting at the one piece of gold, they were counting the stacks of gold. And that's what is called talents. Okay? So when we say he was given five talents, it was gold in a, of a certain weight in measurement. So it was a lot of money. If we can say it was a lot of money, it was a lot that he was given. Okay? All right. So he gave them the authority to trade on his behalf that you would be my representatives here while I am away. Isn't that, isn't that what Adam was given in the garden? That you would represent, that we, we, or the human race would represent God on earth while God is in heaven. And we saw that last week, that uh, Adam was created in his image and likeness. Therefore, image means a representative figure. Likeness means functioning like the source, okay? So the servants would be the representatives of the master. The property still belonged to the master, though he went away. Whose property was it? It was the master's, okay? All right, so he, uh, the, the, the Bible also says that he gave five talents to one and two uh, to another and one to another according to his ability, then he went away, according to his ability. So each person has an ability. And what does ability mean for those who are writing down? Uh, an ability is the possession of a means or a skill to do something. To have an ability, to possess a means or a skill to do something. Now let's go deep and actually define what ability means in this context. It is a mindset that promotes fruitfulness. Hallelujah. What is ability? A mindset that promotes fruitfulness, according to this context. All right. Now, we will discuss that even as we move forward. Now, there are three R. There were actually five uh, that we see in this, in this story. There are, there are five R's that we see in this story. That... If the master was to judge the servants, number one, there must be repetitions that the servants do. And when we say repetitions, that there is a personal culture for each servant. Okay? So I see the servant being honest. I've seen him repeatedly. He's being honest. Repeatedly, he's been clean. Repeatedly, he's shown responsibility. Repeatedly, he's shown. On a number of occasions, he's shown to be this way and this way and this way and this way, okay? So there's repetition. Now, according to his ability means that the master used a rating system to judge the capacity of his servants. Amen. So each one of us has a rating. So each one of us does repetitions, okay? Through our habits, through our personal culture, each one of us does repetitions. Each one of us has a rating system. We have ratings over our heads, okay? 
and God knows our ratings based on our measure of faithfulness. Then the, the third R is that from your repetitions and from the, uh, the rating system that is put on you, there is a reputation that you guys produce. That our actions, our interactions with people make us have a reputation among people. Okay? A reputation is like when we say uh, Valentine is like this and like this, like this, then that means that, uh, Valentine is my wife, and that means that she has a reputation of being like this and like this, and that reputation is built based on her repetitions and how we rate her. Am I coming out clearly? We'll go and unpack it. The fourth R is results. There are results in here that they, while the master was away, there are certain results that came forth. And then the last one is reward. Everybody say reward. Reward. Each one was reward. Rewarded. All right. So let's look at uh, repetitions. Okay. All right. What are repeti repetition? Repetition means that there is a personal culture that each one of us has. When we say culture, it's the way that you are, the way that you do things, your thought patterns. That is what we say culture. So each servant had a personal culture that would determine their rating in the master's eyes that would enable the, the master to say this one deserves five. I'll give this one responsibility for two. I'll give this one responsibility for one. So each one of you has a personal culture. So this is what your personal culture is. For those who are writing notes, there are six things that determine your personal culture. One, your thoughts. Two, ideas. Three, your belief systems. Four, your value systems. Five, a stronghold. Six, your mindset. Amen. Wow, uh, that's, that's a lot. <laughs> so personal culture is determined by your thoughts, your ideas, your belief system, your value system, your stronghold, and your mindset. So if we are to label someone an alcoholic, we say alcoholic because we say it's a disease, but rather there's a mindset towards alcoholism. True? There are thoughts that enabled this person to have ideas, to develop belief systems, to develop a value system, and a stronghold in their mind that alcohol is beneficial this way and this way until they lose it. When it becomes a stronghold, they are no longer in control over their ability to stop taking alcohol, for example. Okay? Addictions follow that same trail of thought. That there are thoughts that combined formed ideas, combined formed belief systems, combined formed value systems, combined formed strongholds, combined and formed a mindset. Though that, all of those things determine your personal culture. Each one of us has a personal culture. Repetition also means a mastery of ability. Say mastery of ability. Amen. So there's skills, there is talents, there's gifts that we all have. And we have been given. But based on how you use those skills and sharpen those talents and sharpen those 
abilities, that affects your mastery. Amen. But I want to talk about mastery of time. Mastery of destiny. Mastery of resources. Mastery of the value proposition that you're given. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right. Now, I'm not going to touch on those. I will just list them. That each one of us will become, will be known as competent as long as we know how to master time. True? Uh, my mom here can hire someone who can dig the shamba for four days. That person knows how to dig the shamba in four, in, within four days. But she can also hire someone with the ability to dig that shamba in two days. True? Because that person knows how to master their time. They know that if I dig from this time to this time, take a rest, then dig from this time to this time, I'll be more efficient than uh, coming late or coming early. So in other words, each one of us needs to become masters of time. Number two, we need to become masters of destiny. Praise the Lord. Destiny is the execution of vision and mission. That one is hot. (laughs) Destiny is the execution of your vision and your mission. Uh, so when people say I am a child of destiny then there must be a vision that you've been called to fulfill there must be a mission that you've called to fulfill and truly you must become a master of your destiny or destination praise the Lord you must become a master of resources and that is management of finances management of other things that uh, you will become a steward to that will improve your production. Amen. You must become a master of your value proposition. Amen. Um, By this I mean that you know what's important. You know how to put what's important first. How to put what's the next important thing next. You know how to prioritize. Amen. Amen. All right. The Uh, So, repetition. So, this servant with the five talents was able to distinguish himself by doing the right repetitions in terms of having the right personal culture. Praise the Lord. Amen. 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 So, repetition goes beyond habit loops. Repetition goes beyond habit loops. What is a habit? A habit is your brain's way of coming up with patterns that will make its work easier. A habit is your brain's way of shortening things. Amen. Are we, are we together? Yes. A habit is your brain's way of shortening things. All right. So my sister and I uh, decided to take up jogging. Okay. Let me use jogging. I remember when I first started jogging. Uh, okay. Not recently. Around 2016, and I said I'd be jogging in the morning. It was so hard to wake up in the morning, go run, come shower, prepare myself, and go and have a day without struggling uh, to stay awake throughout the day. Praise the Lord. All right. Um, But because for my brain, it took long or it took so much energy to be able to do what I needed to do. To, to gain that new uh, habit of jogging. 
But with time, the more I exposed myself, the, my brain shortened that journey, okay? So instead of having to process how to clear, how to uh, wake up and to rise up in the morning and to put off my alarm and to take coffee and to drink water and then uh, to warm up and then to go, it formed patterns, amen? It formed patterns in my mind. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right. Maybe we'll explain that a bit later on. Okay. All right. So Matthew 25, 16 says that he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and he made five talents more. Verse 16. Okay. He went where? At once and traded. Praise the Lord. In other words, for someone to be given something and at once you're able to go and trade, it means that you have prior knowledge. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Are, are you getting what I'm saying? Like he, he was ready. He had the knowledge. He had the networks. He had the right level of information disclosure, which he used for his advantage. That is what trading is. Having the right knowledge, having the right networks, having the right level of information disclosure that and using that to your advantage that is what we're going to define as trading in other words he was ready for this the same for the two talent person he was ready for for that he or she was ready for for that amen all right so now trading means that there is prior exposure to that which means that there's repetitions that this person was exposed to praise the lord Let's go to ratings. Now, each person over, each one of us has a rating over us, uh, over us. Amen. Amen. Each one of us has certain capacities inside of us. For example, my mom has three kids and she knows this son is good in this. This son is good in this. This daughter is good in this. Mm -hmm. So she knows how to balance. <laughs> she knows how to balance the distribution of mm -hmm. work. Amen. Yeah, all right. So in, in the same way that each one of us has a rating, praise the Lord. Amen. All right. A rating is a system of classifying quality or merit. Praise the Lord. Amen. Engines have ratings. Car engines have ratings. 1800cc, 1200cc, 1500cc. Okay. Amen. This world always depends on ratings. Okay. Amen. And for each different rating, there is a price point attached to it. True? All right, so if I have a 4,000cc car, then that means it's a, a more expensive car compared to a 1,500cc kind of car. True? All right, chargers have different ratings. Though, of course, we don't look at that. Do you even look at your charger? <laughs> so you just use whoever's charger as long as it works anyway. In the same way, movies have classifications. That's a rating system that kids cannot handle the content that is here or should not be exposed to content that is in this movie. And every one of us has a rating system. Praise the Lord. Drugs, antibiotics, there is different ratings for antibiotics. There are, there are milder ones and then there are more powerful ones. That if you exceed that, if, if the bacteria in, in, or infection cannot be treated by that antibiotic at the highest level, I forget the name, doctors, you will help, then that means that that thing cannot be treated. Mm. Uh, okay. 
So there is ratings for everything. Hallelujah. Who checks for ratings uh, or the quality or standard of quality for Kenya is given to whom? Which body? Kebs. Kebs, eh? All right. So what does Kebs do? What is the work of Kebs? To check the quality or standard of things that the market is exposed to. Sindio? Amen. All right. Um, let's move forward. Just as much as there's rating systems for outside or the outside world, there are rating systems for employees. There are rating or we call them performance evaluations. Sindio? What, what is the use of a performance evaluation, Esther? All right, to rate the quality of someone's work according to the job description. Sindio, signed, eh? All right. So in the same way, the master had a rating system in that one was given five, in that another was given two, in that another was given one. Because the capacity of each servant was determined on that rating system. Hallelujah. All right, all right. Number three is reputation. Someone say reputation. Reputation. What is reputation? Your actions plus what others say about you is your reputation. Amen. Your actions plus what others say about you is your reputation. In other words, your personal culture exposed to us enables us to put a reputation on, on you. Amen. So, Reputation is the result of proven mastery. We've seen what mastery is. Hallelujah. Your reputation is what we call a brand. Hallelujah. A brand. What is a brand, Valentine? All right. Someone or something that has differentiated itself in the, in the eyes of the people, okay? In the eyes of the public. That's what a brand is. Cindy all right. So, but a brand is also a an unspoken promise of consistency to continually produce certain value. For example, if you come to uh, people like me, then there is a brand. There is a brand. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. So there, there is a brand that we all project. We project certain brands. For example, if you are known to be faithful then there's a brand that you project. Hallelujah. Because we know this, that even Jesus said that man, no, it's God who said when David was being chosen that man looks at the outside appearance, but God looks at the heart. For men, we cannot, we do not have the strength to discern, other than through the strength of the Holy Spirit. We can't discern uh, uh, by looking at someone. But we can, we look at the outward appearance of someone. Sindio. How easy is it to con certain ladies? I mean, there's more ladies here. A guy who's so presentable, fresh cut, clean, well-spoken, nini nini, and we play that game, and you hear that that man, that, that you hear that that man started an online relationship with someone on the other side of the planet, and that lady gave her savings to this guy, who is where? In Nigeria somewhere. Nigerian yeah. Because they know how to play towards people's appearance. Amen. So, your work, your actions give you a reputation. In the workplace, you have a reputation. 
You have a reputation based on your networking. You have a reputation based on your work ethic. Praise the Lord. You have a reputation based on how you dress. Because <laughs> men look at the outward appearance. You, have, you build a reputation based on who you surround yourself with. Show me your friends, I'll show you your character. Yeah. All right. Now, the, the, now, let's go to verse 20 to 26. Let's look at the results. The one who had five talents gave five more, right? The one who had two gave two more. The one who had one, what did he do? He went and hid it in the earth. When the master came back, he gave him back his property. In other words, he refused to take ownership of this guy's thing. Amen. So, what are the results? Hallelujah. The five-talent person became ten talents. That he built his reputation and became a ten-talent person. The two-talent guy built his reputation and became a four-talent person. The one-talent person became a one talent though that talent that he had is taken away okay because this is what he said for i was afraid okay this is what he said master i knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed so i was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground here have what is yours so the five-talent guy became an 11-talent person. Amen. The four-talent guy, the two-talent guy became four-talent guy. Okay? In terms of the, the fruitfulness was, was compounded. Hallelujah. Now let's look at the characteristics of a, poor, of a poor steward. Number one, he judged his master's character. In the workplace, mom. How many times have people spoken behind the boss's back? Many times. And those are poor stewards. Hallelujah. People who speak behind their boss's backs. Of course, you are the one who signed the contract. You, you didn't seek to inquire, is this boss good? Is this person good? Will they give me a hard time? What? You didn't seek to inquire that. Because you are desperate for the job, but when thing, when the rubber met the road, what happens? There's groups of people talking ill about their boss. That's the sign of a poor steward, and that person will never get promotion. You'll never get promotion if you rally with those who backbite people in the office. He traded, number two, he traded in what he wasn't given. Did the master give him fear? No. The master gave him the power to trade, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. But what did he did decide to trade in? To trade in what he wasn't given. Yeah. And he traded in fear. And what is the product of fear? What is the product of fear? Write it in the comments. The product of fear is emotion. Failure. The product of fear is failure. Now you imagine if this servant had a family. He's lost everything. Imagine the family of the 11 talent person. Hey, the father is worshipped or praised in the house. All right. So it's because of the light. Listen, guys. Listen, listen, guys. 
It's because of the good work of the other two that the evil one was exposed. If the other two didn't succeed, this one would not have been exposed. If they were all bad, they would all have suffered some measure of punishment. But the other two were good and this one was exposed. So the work of Christians in secular work is to raise the standard of God so that those who are corrupt and those who practice corruption are exposed. Hallelujah. That is how to shine a light, to raise a standard. Isaiah 59 verse 19 says, So shall the fear of the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. I'm borrowing that principle, that when the enemy comes in and he thinks he's done something, people of the light raise the standard in Jesus' name. Set in, music, in the music industry, for example, it was not until gospel guys came that we exposed the nastiness that Kina Caliph Records were producing. Isn't that true? Amen? Amen. It had gotten so bad that someone like, uh, what is it, Mr. Nice, <laughs> that Kenyans were tired of the ugly content that Kenyan music was producing. That's how Tanzania music became relevant in Kenya, because Kenyans wanted clean music. Majority of Kenyans wanted clean music. Okay. Aya, right, one to you. I don't know why I'm digressing, but one to you now, Kina Diamond, as in that your music is getting raunchier that you will lose your market. Anyway, moving on. But it's not until the gospel industry was raised up that we finally knew what good music was supposed to be. Now the gospel industry is somewhere else. We will not even say that. Okay. Guys, if we remain good and faithful to that which God has given us, there is a compounding effect of fruitfulness that will come to us in Jesus' name. There is a compounding effect of fruitfulness that will come to us. What, like for example, if you put your investment in compound interest, over five years, it becomes something else. Over 10 years, compound interest makes your investment huge. So in the same way, that if we remain faithful with that which God has given us, then there is a compounding effect to our fruitfulness. Hallelujah. That you, that, that even, that this, and the scripture says, for to everyone who has will be given more, will be given abundance. But from the one who does not have, even that which he has will be taken away. Amen. So these guys have amazing management positions and they are using all that money to go and waste their lives and to waste uh, other people's daughters and to waste their time in clubs and bars and doing all those nasty things. Even that which you had will be taken away from you. But for them who know how to uh, dangote their things, how to dangote their principles. And I'm, yes, I'm quoting that rich guy called Dangote because he was prophesied and his small business became a huge business. Someone prophesied to him and his fruitfulness was compounded. That someone spoke a word of God to this man and elevated him from just being a medium, small business person, he became a big person. I get really excited when 
I hear stories of a Nigerian businessman buying an airport in London. The second largest airport in London is owned by a Niger- an African. We need to compound. Those are the levels. They are levels, bro. They are levels. We need to compound our fruitfulness. Praise the Lord. How? Through faithfulness. Amen. For he who is faithful with little compounds it. It becomes the results or the, the results are compounded. Praise the Lord. The last point, the fifth R is reward. Amen. The 11 talent guy and the four talent guy were promoted and they became as equal to their master. Hallelujah. Amen. That that which they were, they were working for this guy, but they were told, now go and rule. I will make you a rule over many cities. There's often reward in Jesus' name. So uh, I know that the young people are dreaming of becoming the next Bill Gates, the next Mark Zuckerberg, come up with something brilliant that will make you a millionaire overnight. But even in that billionaire status, that there are things like these virtues and values like faithfulness in little that you will need to add to your work. So even as we begin to, as we continue to expose the truth of Christ, I pray that you will get to that level where you will learn how to compound your fruitfulness in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. That we will learn how to trade effort for value and bring, and every time have the right kind of results. In Jesus' name. Is there a question before we close? T, any question? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, let's let's give thanks. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before your presence yet again, thanking you for the word. There's a lot that has been discussed. I pray that even as we will rewatch what you have said, that we'll put to practice that which we are saying. Lord, many times we are exposed to good doctrine. We're exposed to light through the word of God, but we treat it as though it's something cheap. But Lord, I pray that we will see the value in this, implement it in our lives. And may we walk in the compounding effect of being fruitful. In the name of Jesus Christ, we have prayed and believed. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Catch you tomorrow. God bless you. Today we're going to learn about the journey of maturing from Abraham to Abraham. We'll also learn about how God sends a Melchizedek type of people into our lives so that they can teach us a new way of looking at God. So join me, Expo, as we decode these mysteries in today's podcast. Hey, uh, good evening. How are you doing? I hope you've been well and that uh, the Lord has blessed you, that he has continued to watch over you, that he has given you uh, and he has provided for you, that God supernaturally has given you your heart's desire and um, that you're continuing on in the faith, that you're continuing on in your walk, in your journey, that even though uh, times are tough even though times are difficult that you have made the lord god your shelter
that your faith is unwavering, especially in a time such as this. So God bless you so much. Uh, thank you for joining me. Uh, my name is Dennis Nginya, um, also known as Expo. Uh, on this journey that we began 16 days ago, today's day 16 of 21 days of Rema. And we, we just want to say thank you, Father, for feeding us. For We just want to thank the Lord for giving us this bread that he's given unto us. And as we saw from before that flesh is joining flesh in terms of scripture. And if all parts are conjoining, even as we look through the scriptures. So today we're going to continue on this series um, that the Lord would desire that I tarry in. And that is, um, we've been looking at the difference between mature sons and immature sons. And for those who are female in this audience of viewership, uh, sonship is a title. It's, it's not the title used in English. It means uh, one who is born of God, basically. Uh, one who is born of God. So can be of male or female variety, but sonship is what we are looking at right now. So uh, join me in a word of prayer even as we begin. Heavenly Father, you are our exceeding and great reward. You are everything that we've been looking for. You have been our heart's desire that everything we have longed for or searched for in, uh, in terms of looking for meaning in our lives, we have found it in you. Lord, I pray today that you multiply this bread, this word, O oh God, may it sink deep into our hearts. Lord, I pray for quick understanding. I pray, O oh Lord, for that you will quicken us inside, O oh Lord, through your word, that you make us strong, make us vigilant, help us to have victory, Almighty God. We praise you because you are good and your mercies endure forever. Lord, as we begin this session, I pray, O oh Lord, that you, O oh God, will uh, give me the tongue of the learned, even as we speak of your oracles. I pray, O oh God, that you, O oh God, will be made exalted in our own eyes, that your preeminence, O oh Lord, that your power will be seen and made visible in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray and believe. Amen and amen. So uh, let's just dive right in. <laughs> so day 16. Yesterday, uh, now uh, this was for day 15 yesterday, that is, that we looked at the Lord's Prayer. And in the Lord's Prayer, we found a key that says, Our Father. But he was teaching the disciples how to pray at a time when the new covenant hadn't been made. And the veil and the temple, uh, the veil at the temple hadn't been torn apart yet. So therefore, uh, common men did not have access into the presence of God. And the, t the old temple was was still uh, um, in 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 was still intact basically, but when we look at the Lord's prayer and we just began to look at it, we didn't even dive deep. We just got stuck at our Father, and what Christ did on the cross and gave us access. He was our High Priest, and He gave us access to come boldly be before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. That you and I, wherever we are, we can gain access access to God the Father, okay? But uh, even as we were looking at our Father, one thing that we needed to begin to look at was our Father himself. And one parable that reveals the nature or the heart of the Father is the parable uh, found in Luke chapter 15, which is the parable of the prodigal son. But if I was to rename it, I'd call it the parable of the Father because the story centers around the Father himself that um, 
they, there were two sons. The father had two sons, and one son was an immature son. The other son was a mature son. So the immature son, who was younger, demanded for his inheritance, went, spent it all. Then when he came back to his senses, when by the time he decides to come back, he wants to demote himself. He wants to demote his sonship level to come back to his father as a servant. But we saw the heart of the father in that he restored him back to being a son. And the sin that the son had committed, the fattened calf was killed on his behalf. And the mature son, as you would expect that he would take the heart of the father, instead he was angry that I've never been celebrated like this. I've done everything correctly. But the father reminded him something in verse 31. He says, but son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. In other words, he was being reminded that I am... Being with me, being, being with the Father is the greatest reward that you could ever have because while you're with me, my heart is with you and everything that is possessed by my hand belongs to you. So mature sons, I hope that you get that uh, powerful point because while we are with God, that we are not seeking after his hand, but because we are after his heart, then we will always have his hand. Amen. <laughs> so now... Um, the Telios, we call him the Telios, that's a mature son. The Nepios, or in the Greek, we, we derive these Greek words from Hebrews chapter 5, from verse 10 all the way till the end of chapter 5. That we see that there are those who are unskillful in the word of righteousness are called babes, and that's the word Nepios. And those who, who we speak deep things or we give meat to are those who are called mature believers, okay? All right, so now the immature brother's desire was to function with the father's things, but without the father's supervision or the father's involvement. And we see them in the world right now, that there are immature sons. Yes, they are believers. They love God. They have the testimony of Christ in their hearts. But rather than follow and live out and seek the father's will, because uh, we saw that a mature son, the first thing that they do is they seek the will of the father. That inside of their hearts, there is a, a, a can I say, a direction of the spirit to redeem the times. How? How do we redeem the times? By being wise and fulfilling the will of the Lord. That's Ephesians 5, chapter 17. That the immature, the immature sons... They desire the things that God gives, the power, they desire the rulership, they desire all these things. But they, don't, they, they want God to be afar off uh, so that they can do their thing. So they want to live out God's way in their own will. Okay? Now, today uh, I want to dive uh, deeper uh, into this differentiation between the Nepios and the Teleos. And the story we're going to dive into is the story of Abram before he became Abraham. Abram and his nephew Lot, those are the two that we are going to compare today. All right, so their story begins uh, around Genesis chapter 12. And, but in chapter 13, you see something happens, that Abram, though he was the uncle of Lot, uh, Lot decided um, that he claimed equality with this mature uh, son. So the shepherds began to squabble and Adam, uh, Abraham and Lord decided to sit down. Abraham, in fact, was the peaceable one. He told him, uh, please, we are kinsmen. Please let you choose which side you will go and I'll go the other. So he gave him, he preferred him. 
he preferred him and that is love he preferred his his uh his nephew and the nephew chose the plush plum places and he went there he went and and he pitched a tent just near the city of sodom and abram went to the other side and we see that in genesis chapter 13 14 to 18 and for the first time in a long time the lord now speaks to abram and says to him uh, genesis 13 14 he says and the lord said to abram after lot had separated from him lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are northward and southward and eastward and westward for all the land that you see i will give to you and to your offspring forever i will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth your offspring also can be counted arise walk through the length and breadth and, and breadth of the land for i will give it to you so abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of mamre uh, or mamre <laughs> which are at uh, hebron and there he built an altar to the lord so it seems that after the separation the lord delivers this promise to him and this is very important in genesis 13 that the lord speaks this promise to him so Abraham right now, he's separated from Lot and now he's living uh, as one with a promise. And this is very important in how we're going to interpret the scriptures moving forward. So in Genesis chapter 14, we'll pick it up from verse 8. So basically the story is five kings rise against four kings. And, and this is where we'll pick it up. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, and the king of Zeboim and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out and they joined a battle in the valley of Sidim with Shadolama, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goim, Amraphel, king of Shina, and Ariok, king of Elasa. Four kings against five. So these five kings versus four decide to go to war. Now, the valley of Sidim was full of bitumen pits. And as the king of Sodom and Gomorrah f uh, fled, some fell into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. So one set, the five verses four, one set of kings is defeated. And unfortunately, it's the kings, it's the side of the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. So the enemy took all the possession of Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. Verse 12 says, they also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions and went their way. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eskol and of Anna. These were allies to Abram. So Abram had allies. So Abram was told, hey, your nephew has been, all your nephew and all his possessions have been taken. So when Abram heard that his kinsman had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Hoba, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman, Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. Now, so, uh, pardon me. Lot is kidnapped. Abram decides 
to take 318 men in his house and pursue the kings. Hmm. 318 people. Even at, our, at, at my own wedding, I didn't have to feed more than 318 people. <laughs> but Abram had to feed 318 fighting men. How rich was Abram? He was very rich. Okay? So how much does it cost to feed 318 men? Assuming that some have their families with them. How much skill does it take to train these guys such that they are so effective against four kings and their armies? How, how much implementation of strategy? Because training means that there is strategy, there is application of skill, that there is application of you're teaching these guys how to wield swords and weapons or whatever weapons that they were using at that time. That Abram, we need to look at Abram not just as just a soft dude, that this guy was very wealthy, first of all. And then number two, he had structure in his home. He was very wise. He was able to have some form of government, gov government or rulership in his own house. So Abraham in his own right was a ruler, right? Okay, that was just important uh, to take note of that. So Genesis 14, 8, we'll pick it up again. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So let's pick it up from there. Allow me to read my notes as, as they, they, they will guide me on what we are discussing today. So, Melchizedek was in sync with the word of the Lord that had come to Abraham. Remember in Genesis 13 that the Lord gave Abraham a promise. And what Melchizedek spoke to Abraham, it made it touched Abraham so deeply because it was in synchrony with what God had promised Abraham. So Melchizedek knew sort of knew or alluded to, uh, let's just say, became a witness to what Abram, to the promise that Abram was given by God. He provided a witness unto this. And isn't that right that God will speak to you in your own private time, in your own way as he's calling you, but God will also use other people to, to come and water that seed that was spoken by God into you, into your heart. Isn't that right? All right, so... His assignment was to reveal a dimension of God that Abraham needed to see vis-a-vis -vis the promise the father had made to him. That Melchizedek came to reveal the father to Abraham. To Abraham. And he said, blessed be Abraham by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And you will see that this is a dimension of God that Abraham had never seen before. But because God had made him a promise that he will possess nations, then this is a dimension of God that Abraham 
opened, that he opened the eyes of Abram to see this. And we actually see that Melchizedek revealed the father to Abram as possessor of heaven and earth. In other words, that while he's revealing God in this way, that the language of Abram will also change. Because when God sends people your way, there's certain aspects of God the father that will be revealed to you that you did not know. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? Ask yourself. Think that when I heard a message of God in my prayer time or whatever, and God, then a few, uh, then you write it down, of course, you're faithful, you journal it. Then a few days later or a few weeks later or even a few months later, that someone will be sent of God to actually water that seed, to provide one, a witness, and number two, to water that seed so that you can still reflect or see God in a new way or in a new dimension. Amen. Amen. So Melchizedek revealed the father to Abram. And what did Abram do? Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And of course, everyone will begin that whole great discord or discourse of tithing. And, you know, tithing is uh, we don't need to tithe anymore because we are not of the Levitical order. But this is before the law is introduced this is before the levitical order is introduced and this is abram and this is abram gave to the man who watered his seed <laughs> the man who spoke to him so ladies and gentlemen um this is what i want to uh, say that tithing should be left to mature sons tithing should be left to mature sons a mature sons will think that they are giving the main of, they are enriching people. No, no, no. Tithing should, is a concept that is of the kingdom and should be left to mature sons. Tithing is not mentioned uh, directly in the New Testament, but Melchizedek, the receiver of tithes, is mentioned in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, uh, from chapter 7 onward, okay? And the receiving of tithes is also mentioned, okay? So uh, if you are mature, then you will understand the principles that are in tithing. Okay? All right. God bless you. <laughs> the son needed someone to mature him. Melchizedek was sent by God to mature his, to mature Abraham. Sons will, God will send people to mature you in matters of faith. God will send people who will speak, not only speak into your life, but also impart the wisdom of God into your life to mature you. No one becomes mature by himself. And you will sit under these people and they will teach you doctrine, precept upon precept, line upon line. They will teach you doctrine and that doctrine will mature you because you need to be mature for you to begin to fulfill the purposes of God inside of you. That you need spiritual muscles sometimes to move some things. That you need the spirit of wisdom working inside of you so that you, the, the fruit of that work will begin to be seen as you are becoming a mature son. And God sends wise men. He sends people. Unless you recognize those people and say, blessed is this one because he comes in the name of the Lord to me. You will never be blessed by that person whatsoever. Okay? You will miss those uh, seasons. So... God sends uh, people to mature you, uh, could be through YouTube, that's remote mentorship, could be through Facebook and whatever. But the day that you are connected with someone, 
uh, and this person speaks certain words, they are not there to make you their servants so that you're carrying their briefcase, so that you're carrying, uh, you know, their water and serving them in that way. Fine, you can serve them in that way. However, they are supposed to bring you up to a level spiritually, to mature you. As God is speaking to them, you become mature in your own spirit and in your own heart and of course men as men corrupted the temple in times past in the same way men will corrupt this kind of discipleship where you'll find that this person now uh, is supposed to mature me but now begins oppressing that this person begins misusing the people under his the people under his uh, tutelage or uh, can I say oversight yes so in this day and age you'll see a lot of abuse but the principle is still true that God will send men to mature you as a son. And you need, uh, and I'm sorry for those who've been hurt and wounded and they have been offended because definitely, I mean, you've heard testimonies of women being, uh, and they're not testimonies, stories of women being misused uh, by this person in authority. But this is something of God that needs to be restored and it, and it will come, okay? The restoration of that will come. So as we said, tithing should be left to mature sons. This is something, this is a principle that, that only mature sons will understand and benefit from. Okay? God bless you on that. So the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, Ghost, to the Lord God, most high, possessor of heaven and earth that I might not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say I have made Abraham rich. Now, I was thinking about this and actually saw some things that the language of Abraham changed because Melchizedek spoke it. Now, Abraham, because he'd been matured by what Melchizedek spoke, he gave a tenth to him. Then he's now able to speak this same uh, name of God as a defense to him. Why is this important? That Abraham uh, abstained from taking unrighteous riches. Okay? He abstained from taking any unrighteous riches. That by knowing God is possessor of heaven and earth, then this person is not able to make me rich. I am only being able to be made rich or having rulership or authority from God Most High. That's the revelation that Melchizedek gave him. So he abstained from taking any unrighteous riches. He refused to be prospered by the arm of flesh, placing his trust in the Lord Most High. He had a promise. He was being tempted by Satan to entangle himself with an alliance with the king of Sodom. Because if he took the riches or that the king of Sodom was telling him, then during the time of intercession, then his intercession would have been tainted. Am I making sense? That... Sometimes the strategy of Satan is to entangle you, okay? You know those deals that people get and, you know, a windfall check is written to you and it's sent to you to entangle you. Did you, uh, and, and it entangles you like it ensnares you, not just entangling for the sake of entangling, but it ensnares you. That Satan wanted to inject himself into the story of Abraham. Do, do, do you see that? That by knowing God as possessor of heaven and earth, it protected Abraham from taking filthy riches from Sodom. 
Because Sodom is a city that did not please God. We actually see that. And Lot, where, where Lot went to settle, the scripture clearly says that that city did not please the Lord. So Satan wanted to inject something of his into the story of Abraham. But by knowing the people who know their God, Abraham knew his God and refused to partake in those riches. Because he knew God as possessor of heaven and earth. And by knowing God as possessor of heaven and earth, or by knowing what God is doing right now on this earth, you will behave differently. You will act differently. If you knew the perfect will of God, you will behave differently and will act differently. Isn't that true? It is very true. So my question is, that job that you sought, that promotion that you sought, that fight in the office, the office politics that you chose to partake in so that you can get ahead, all of those things that we do, was that in the will of God? That's a question. Did Satan try to inject himself in your promotion, inject himself to taint your story? And we need to be very cautious and careful about this. Please remember the temptations listed in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And in the same way, this is a temptation that's coming to Abram because he, it's wealth, it's riches, it's uh, being affiliated with a king. I mean, if the king will owe you a favor. But what does Abram do? He declines the offer of the king. He declines the offer of the king. He declines it by saying, not just that he no thank you, he says, New, uh, this is what he says. I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I should not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abraham rich. This new revelation of God would keep this man uh, righteous. All right. Then look at Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. And it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Hmm. That when he overcame his temptation from the king of Sodom, God now revealed himself as, I am your shield, I am your exceeding great reward. The father knows that mature sons will value being with the father as the greatest reward. Just as the, the father of the prodigal son corrected the, the older son, the mature son, and told him, but you have been with me, that by being with me, that you chose the right thing, that by being with me, that is the path of value. You chose a path of value. Your younger, immature brother chose another path, but you chose everything that I have is yours. Mature sons know or should know that being with the father is the greatest reward ever. Okay? Because we are seeking the heart of the father. And because we are seeking the kingdom of God, then all these things are added unto us. Isn't that true? Because we are seeking early, as Proverbs chapter 8 will say, those who love me seek me early. That's wisdom, basically. Won't we reap the rewards of wisdom? Won't we reap the... Because riches and honor come with wisdom. Uh, uh, because um, 
there's so many th prudence and knowing things, knowing evil plans and uh, ruling as kings. All of that is a reward that comes with wisdom. That we know that mature sons know that by say, staying and tarrying with the father, that daily humbling ourselves and seeking the father as the, as, as the thing, that seeking the will of the father is the topmost thing. My topmost priority is to pray every morning or every day that I'm all about my father's business. That's what mature sons believe. So now because he as a mature son believes or, or believed the father and declined the wealth that came from Sodom and Gomorrah. God, God now cuts a covenant with Abraham. And that's a covenant of circumcision. Okay, And a covenant is usually given by someone who's greater than. And the covenant is made with someone who is lesser than. And the covenant of the, uh, made by the, by the person who is greater than upgrades or elevates this person. To have that, I will, I will act on your behalf. You lesser person, I will act on your behalf. That what is mine is yours. That's what a covenant is. Okay. So from then on, uh, the covenant upgrades Abraham from being an individual, from being a father. Now he's, he gets even a new name. He's, he's made a father of many nations. Abraham means a great father. Abraham means a father of many nations. And because he knew who, that the best place to be is actually with the father. And God actually comes and declares his love. He declares his, his I, I don't think there's any greater word than love. But he declares his love in this statement. I am your shield. I am your exceeding great reward. So God gives him an heir. God tells him of things to come. That your, your people who, uh, your na the nation that will come through you will sojourn in Egypt, but I will save them. I will bring them to this land. That he received the esteem of the Lord. That the Lord would tell him the secrets. That should I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do in Sodom and Gomorrah and gives him the chance to actually intercede for that nation. He also got divine protection. Hallelujah. Hmm. So now, the question now I want to ask, even as we've looked at mature sons and immature sons, where exactly are you? Where are you tittering? How can we define you? How can your actions, how can, your, how can we say that you're on the journey of being a mature son? What are the traits? What, what can we prove in your life that shows you are a mature son? And look at the heart of a mature son. It's not to dominate or to rule over and to call out, hey, hey, you guys are you're, you're immature, you're behaving wrongly, you should be behaving like this. No. A mature son walks in love, expresses the father in the best way possible, and expresses the will of the father in the best way possible. Who are you? Are you a Telios or a Nepios? And I believe that God wants us to tarry in this subject for a while uh, longer. And he's provided the bread. He's provided the word. He's continuing to provide the word. That even as we discuss this uh, heavy and weighty things, that the thing, I don't want, I, the thing I want you to get out of this is not just knowledge that you go and bamboozle people with. Because what we're discussing is deep. But rather that you will take time, evaluate 
look at yourself. And in fact, that you will begin to desire the, uh, to be a mature son. So God bless you. And let me just make a prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, uh, you have revealed your heart that we, like mature sons, like Abraham, on how we should be functioning on earth. Lord, that the materialism and having a great riches and everything that men seek after is not what you desire for us. That you desire that you and, and I, you and us as corporate, the body, Lord, that you desire that we publish your will in this earth. That you desire that where you are, we are with you. That we have communion with you. Because this is why you restored us, Lord. I pray in the name of Jesus that you will mature us. Lord, that there will be such a deep hunger, Lord, that we will take time out in discipline, come off that pedestal. That we'll take time out, oh Lord, to seek you, Lord, to study the scriptures, Lord. That even in the scriptures, you will reveal the heart of the Son, Lord. That you will reveal the heart of the Father, that the image of the Son shall be imparted into us, Lord. I pray, Lord, for a life of victory. I pray, oh God, for wisdom, Lord, to come upon us in the name of Jesus Christ. We bless you, Lord, in Jesus' name. We have prayed. Amen. God bless you. Your impatience is getting in the way of God's will being fulfilled in your life. Pride masks itself behind the throes of experience. Sometimes material success can also prevent us from living out the will of God. And in today's podcast with me, Expo, we're going to discuss on how to enter into the rest of God, that is, to fulfill His will. How do we enter into the rest of God? So let us begin with a word of prayer, and then we take off. Thank you, Heavenly Father, um, for a time such as this, Lord. We humble ourselves. Lord, we humble our ideas, intentions, our pride. We abase ourselves in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord. That you, O oh God, may take preeminence, Lord. At this time, I pray that even as I speak, may I speak the oracles that come from you, O oh Lord. Jesus, you are Lord. You came and redeemed us and restored us. And now, through your Holy Spirit, you're revealing unto us your divine secrets, Lord. Your divine uh, mysteries are being uncovered. And I want to say thank you, Heavenly Father. We worship you. We glorify you. We honor you, Lord. I pray that you give me the tongue of the learned, even as we uh, begin this session. Lord, that you, O oh God, will be lifted up in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We do pray and believe. And everybody said, Amen and Amen. All right. So today's topic is enter into the rest of God. So yesterday we looked into the life of Abraham and we saw the journey of a mature son and how through faith he entered into the rest of God. In other words, that if you look at the journey of Abraham, you will actually see how God uh, starts off with someone who did not know him how he and later on how he elevates him 
and gives him promises and he fulfills those promises. So Abraham's story ceases to be his own story. But Abraham's story becomes the story of God because it's included in the story of Christ. Okay. So for us, when we say that we need to redeem the times, then it means that we need to act in the will of God. That's how to redeem the times. Okay. And uh, the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 5, 17, that redeeming, uh, do not be unwise, but know the will of God. So therefore, we have seen that how do we redeem the times? How do we redeem the times? Is to know the will of God. And when we do the will of God, we who have been called to publish the word of God on this earth, when we redeem, uh, uh, when, when we actually live out the will of God, then we are redeeming the times and we are now entered into his rest. Resting means... And let me define it even before we go deeper. That resting means that you're carrying. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. That is what rest is. That we are fulfilling the will of the Father here on earth. That I'm not living for myself. That his rest, that is what it means. His yoke, his yoke being easy. His burden being light. That is what rest means. All right. So. We, we've seen that as we studied the journey of Abraham, as we studied the journey of Lot, there was a mature son and an immature son, okay? And the mature son had to rescue, continually rescue the immature son until finally they got separated and that which they had sowed in terms of faith, that's what they reaped. So the immature son, the immature son reaped, uh, the immature son reaped uh, incest. He, he, all his property was destroyed. His daughters took advantage of him. The Moabites were, were born. And meanwhile, the mature son, he got a son, finally called Isaac. And the journey of coming into Christ took off from there. So Abraham now is transported into the story of God and the story of God is expressed through him. That is how to enter into the rest of God. When your story, your personal story is not about you, we're not supposed to really uh, read you. When people look at you, they see the story of God through you. Okay, they see, uh, they see the story of Christ or the fulfillment of the word of Christ through you. When they look at you, all they just recognize is the story of God. Whether, of course, whether whether they make you a CEO or not, or whether you become this great uh, SpaceX person. But when we look at your journey, as when we look at your story, we are not seeing, of course, the people in your generation will, will see your story. But when others look at you, they see the story of God written in you. Amen. Now. Uh, I think this is important. Allow me to read this. It says that the points of pivoting in his life always came after a visitation from God. Or after the word of the Lord came into his life. In other words, when, okay, in, to say it in another way, when the word of God came to Abraham's life, a, he, there was a pivoting in his journey. There was a change there was an adjacency that happened so in the same way that when you're interacting with the word of god you will actually there are some truths that will actually come to life in you and they will speak of your destiny they will speak of your 
purposes. They will speak of things that you ought to be doing. And those will be areas of you to pivot. Okay? Like make an adjacency in your life so that, fine, you are going like this and you thought that the fulfillment of, your, of Christ's destiny in your life is like this. Then the word of God comes and pivots you. And one of the most, uh, uh, one of the places where Abraham was pivoted was through Melchizedek. And I'm going to repeat that, that, that word pivot because it means that there was a drastic shift in the direction his life took. And that shift was first of all spiritual, then it became, then it, uh, he fulfilled it, okay, with the rest of his life, okay? All right, so your life will also pivot when the word of God is spoken to you. So even as we are speaking right now, I want you to not look at me as someone who is, uh, uh, I know that guy. No, L listen to the words of God coming out from me, okay? So that w there are certain truths that will, you will interact with that will enable you to pivot in your life. All right, therefore, our journey of maturing in the things of God will always come when the living word comes to us now hebrews chapter 4 verse 6 to 12 is our main text and for those who are watching karibuni sana uh, so i'll read hebrews 6 12 verse 6 says seeing therefore it remains that some must enter therein and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief in other words he's talking about the rest of god so unbelief is one of the reasons why we do not enter the rest of god unbelief is one of the reasons that when we say the rest of God, it means that we are fulfilling the purposes of God through our lives. That we, I'm not long, I'm no longer living for myself. Okay, that fulfilling the works of God in my life. That's what rest means. So some didn't enter because of unbelief. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying to David, "Today, after so a long time, as it is said, today, if you will hear his voice." Harden not your hearts. For if Jesus was given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. So what does it mean to enter into the rest of God? That my carnal mind can no longer drive my passions for example i wanted to be the first african to own a bugatti and bring it to kenya so that's a kind of thought it's a beautiful desire but you see when i encountered the word of god i pivoted from such desires and now my desire became that i want to uh, be used of god to reach uh, people in the nations and that is exactly what happened in my early 20s that's what happened in my late 20s that's what happened and even right now in my early 30s or mid 30s that is exactly what is happening that I entered into the rest of God that my purpose, my, my, my own personal ambition and desires that I put them as a living sacrifice. I put them before the, the altar of God and he gave me his will and he said, I'll give you these gifts so that you can function in these and these places and I'll give you influence here and I'll give you this and this there. I'll give you these connections. And that's exactly what is happening that right now we are that we seized from our own works. OK, and now we've entered into the works of God. So let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful 
and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Entering into rest means to rightfully live out the will of the Father. Righteousness means to live as one who has been restored to the spirit of truth, the, to the spirit and truth of God. Okay, let me take that again. Righteousness means that you live as one who has been restored to spirit and truth. John 4.23 And to the image, of the, the image of his dear son is in us. Therefore, we function from that position of righteousness. That is what entering rest means. That I know that I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. That positionally I am right. And practically, therefore, I will live out that which I am positioned. Ooh, take that again. Positionally, I've been made right. Therefore, my deeds, my, my thoughts, my words, and my everything that I'm, I'm, I'm all about have been made practically right. Amen. So our labor now is, in, is to enter into the will of the Father. Amen. So Ephesians 5.17 says, uh, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what is the will of God. So, being unwise therefore means being or not knowing the will of God. That's what being unwise means, biblically. That if I am to say I am wise, therefore it means that I understand the will of God. So my labor, because the rest of God is to be labored into, my labor is not to uh, do works of righteousness to try and please my way to the heart of the Father. But my labor is to enter into that place of understanding what the will of the Lord is. That is what it means to know the will of God. Okay. So now let's study the four types of hearts. It's called the parable of the sower, but it's the four types of hearts in rest. Okay. So we want to see how to get a heart that is in rest. And we get this from the parable of the sower. So let's go to Matthew 13 verse 18 to 23. Here then the parable of the sower. Uh, the first heart, verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown al along the path. So the first heart is the pathway heart. Okay, so he hears the word of the kingdom, does not understand it. The evil one comes and snatches it away. So is this someone who is of the world? Or uh, how, how do we define this person? Because they hear the word of the kingdom. And we know that the natural man, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14, but the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So this person is not a natural man. This person hears the word of the kingdom, okay, does not understand it. And the evil one steals it away from him. Okay, so in other words, as we said yesterday, that understanding the day before yesterday uh, that understanding is when i eat tangerines and my body is able to get the vitamin c out of all that uh, pulp that is what understanding is like when it comes to uh knowledge that to say i understand something it means that there's a there's, there's a comprehension that i'm able to get the 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 quality or the value of that knowledge i'm able to reap it and and that is what it means to understand something okay so those who don't understand the word of god do not enter into the rest of the father okay first corinthians 3 verse 1 to 3 says but i brothers 
could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not ready. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So the people who, uh, this type of heart, the wayside heart, is for them who, they can't consume solid food. They can't, uh, they're not ready to consume solid food in other way. In, in other words, why? Because they still function in the flesh. They still function in, in their own will. They still function according to the precepts of the world. Okay? So they still function as, um, uh, for example, they'll read the word. They'll refuse to put it to practice. They'll refuse to understand it. And so Sunday in, Sunday out, they come in. They hear the word. They are blessed by it. But by Monday, they've forgotten. So the preacher comes in, talks about forgiveness. Uh, and uh, the, as, as he's talking about the Lord's Prayer, forgive us as we forgive those who uh, uh, trespass against us. And the preacher says you must forgive, but these people refuse to forgive because that later that night they go to their homes. And because their husband is not pastor <laughs> or is not a righteous man, they will treat them with the contempt that they've always treated, the resentment and contempt they've treated their husbands or wives with. So they refuse to hear the word of God. So what happens? The enemy keeps stealing that word because the word was about forgiveness. So they hear it again, maybe three years later. They don't hear and they continue all the way down. And the fruit of that, you will hear domestic violence and divorce and all these other things. All right. So the Corinthians were at a growth stage that could not permit them to understand solid food. And what did Paul do? He did not give them solid food. He gave them milk. Basic doctrines, okay? Why? Because they were functioning as carnal. They were trying to live Christianity according to the wisdom and patterns of the world. James 4, 1 to 3 says, What causes quarrels and what cause, causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? That is someone of the wayside heart. That is someone of the wayside heart. That because they want they, they want to impose their own will to the father you know those people who say uh, lord i want this job and this is my job and my heart is here but the lord knows that when they enter that place then there's uh, maybe a terrible boss or something of the sort that is waiting for them that he wants to protect them uh, or has something uh, totally different for them uh, maybe he wants them to be mentored in a certain way in a different kind of job so this person imposes the will and pushes through the door and now there's those two aspects of god's permissive will and god's perfect will so these people hear the word but as the so that person is not at rest they, they will never enter into the rest of God because unbelief is when you choose to function in your own wisdom. Unbelief is when you choose to function in the flesh. In other words, that instead of reading the scriptures for the holy word that they are, you decide to read the scriptures and judge it based on your philosophies, based on your many other things. I, I do not want to labor there too much. So the second, the second heart is the rocky ground. In verse, uh, Matthew 13, 20 to 21 says, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. 
Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or a persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So these are people, they receive the word with gladness. Okay? But after that, tribulation will always come for the word's sake. Persecution will always come for the word's sake. Okay? So 2 Timothy 3.7 is... Uh, 3, 7 to 8 says that ever learning and never being able to come to the knowledge of truth. And I think that this characteristic is what this, this scripture de describes this type of heart well, that they are ever learning, but unable, never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Why? Because they are still functioning in milk level, the milk level. They are immature people. Now, as Janus and Jembres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. And that's the key word that I want to interpret this scripture with. Reprobate, meaning that there is a degeneration of that truth. So they hear the word with joy. And a joy is, you know, another level. And they receive that word and they run with that word. But when persecution comes, that word does not it does not elevate them. They, they don't use it. Even uh, uh, they don't use it in the whole armor of God. You know, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So they don't use it. So what happens is, they, as, as Paul is telling Timothy, they are, over repro they are reprobate concerning the faith, which means that they begin to downgrade in matters faith. Uh, that's the thorny heart. So they... The, these are people of reprobate, reprobateness concerning the faith. Those people who jump from church activity to church activity, you know them. Because, you know, it seems that they want to be grounded, but to be grounded actually means in patience to searching through the scriptures. That's what being grounded will, will do for you. But these are people who will always jump from church activity to church activity. But then when tested a little bit, uh, let's say the, the job moves them to a different place uh, and they are tested, they fall away immediately. Why? Because they had no root in them. <laughs> they had no root in them. All right, so uh, the thorny heart, this is the th third type of heart. And this is also a heart that is not at rest. Uh, Matthew 13.22 says, As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfaithful. The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. 1 Timothy 6, 8-10 says, And having food and raiment, let us therefore be content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish, hurtful uh, uh, lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, while some covet af which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So the cares of the world, I mean, wealth is a whole different ballgame. That there's a way that wealth, uh, my pastor used to say that wealth it magnifies the heart but rather i'd rather say that wealth or mammon in itself is a spirit because when people gain uh, wealth and <laughs> when people gain uh, money they gain a, f a form of power they gain a form of influence isn't that true all right so influence is a magnet that attracts all type of people to you 
influence is a magnet that attracts all type of people to you. So the day that that business of yours now becomes a multi, someone from the U.S. sees it as a, or China or whatever, sees it as a big opportunity and buys shares from it and you get the valuation you, you hoped for, some 500 million in your account. And now suddenly you will actually see that influence. You, you gain some measure of influence and power just because Someone wrote in the daily newspaper or business daily that this person was bought for this amount. So you start receiving all kinds of proposals. Please help me. I have this business idea. I have this and this and this. Yani, people with different varying visions want you to now begin to sponsor their own visions and whatever. So, and a lot of problems will come with that. Okay. Once you see that power, once you, you check into town and you're in that in your nice car and, you know, the parking that was reserved, the watchman is very quick to run and remove that parking, <laughs> that uh, uh, reserve post and, and, you know, is busy showing you that changes the hearts of men. Once you feel that taste of that influence, it changes the hearts of men. Mammon is a spirit that prioritizes your will above the Lord's voice. And it takes discipline while rich to follow the will of God. It takes a great measure of discipline and abasing yourself every day. Trust me on that. Uh, 1 Timothy 6.17-18 says, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. And this is what uh, having money does. It makes you high-minded, Okay. I'm saying having a lot of money, having a lot of money, okay? Make someone high-minded. Uh, so charge them that are rich in the world that they are not to be high-minded. As the scripture says, Ecclesiastes, was it Proverbs that says that uh, a rich man answers roughly? Isn't that true? Uh, but a poor man uses entreaties. <laughs> anyway, high-minded people think that they are too brilliant, that they sometimes are tempted with they're being full of themselves okay they're never they never humble themselves uh to enough to hear and i'm taking back to first john 2 15 that the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes the pride of life and one of the things wealth actually tempts you in the pride of life kind of a way that nimifika uh, that i'm there that i'm that person i'm that boss and we've seen many stories rags to riches within a few years they're able to command media able to command uh, twitter and whatever and you actually begin to see people losing their ways because their faith becomes shipwreck all right so jeremiah uh, 17 5 to 8 says thus says the lord Cursed be the man that trusts in man and makes flesh his arm, and whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like the uh, heath in the desert, or salt in the desert, and shall not see when good comes, and shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land not inhabited. But blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters that spreads out her root by the river and shall not see when heat comes. But her leaf shall be green and shall, and shall not be careful in the year of drought. Neither shall cease from uh, yielding fruit. So now we look at the heart that is in rest. And that's Matthew thirteen twenty three. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. 
He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another case sixty, in another case thirtyfold. We need to meditate on the word of God. How do we become the heart that is in rest? How do we labor? How do we labor to enter into rest? Number one, we need to meditate on the word of God. Meditation is the process where we become one in sync with the word of God. Okay? We empty ourselves of the cares of this world, we humble ourselves, and in patience we learn from the Lord. It is so easy to consume entertainment. Isn't that true? If I was rapping or doing whatever, I mean, there would be a great following because we love being passive. I mean, entertainment is often passive. But studying is strenuous. Studying, uh, waking up in the morning or whatever time you choose to study and to read the scriptures and to glean from the scriptures and to get that revelation from the Lord is hard work. <laughs> it's not easy, okay? But that is how we enter into rest, okay? Uh, how did... Um, Okay, so Abraham as a mature son, when we say that this person entered into the rest of God, Hebrews 11, 8, 19 tells us how he entered into the rest of God. Let me read it. That by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs of him of the same promise. Remember, by faith he received his, his heir. Okay, uh, For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. In other words, that he had tasted, his, he, he was at the end of his own thing. By the time he surrenders, then that's what surrender means. That you surrender your own personal will and ambitions and everything that's within your possession belongs to God. Okay? So he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable, innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So Abraham was a hundred years old when he got Isaac. A hundred years old. A hundred years old when he got Isaac. But from Isaac coming all the way down to Christ and coming all the way down to us, we now, uh, uh, because of the, the faith of Abraham, we get to live uh, we get also to live in that city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We ha have an inheritance in Christ. Uh, we get to function as light in this earth. All that began when a one man called Abraham said yes to the Lord. And of course he was a man with his own faults. But the Lord chose him and used him. And when Abraham decided to enter into the rest of God, then he was able to, by faith, to accept that the Lord God wants to do this and this and this with him. Um, therefore, uh, these all died in faith, verse 13. These all died with faith, in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. 
For people who speak thus make it clear that they were seeking for a homeland. So they received the things of God. By faith they said yes. They had not seen them. They would not see them in their own uh, lifetime. But that is what it means to enter into the rest of God. That God, when God speaks, what he says will happen, will happen. The promises he gives uh, to you will for sure happen. Whether they happen, not, uh, they happen in your generation or not, they will happen. And that's the faith that they had. Okay, uh, Verse uh, 15, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity uh, to return. But as, it were, as, but as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a, a heavenly one. Therefore, God, who is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offer, offering his son, his only son, excuse my companions, <laughs> Of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So he's over there. He's ready to kill his son. Uh, the Lord told him, go kill your son. But then uh, the Lord provided a ram that would replace his son on the altar. So we know that is a picture of Christ being the ram in the bushes. That uh, instead of us killing, uh, paying for our own sins, that Christ would come and pay for our own sins. So by faith, when he was tested, he gave out the thing that would be his most prized possession. And he was in rest. That is what rest does. That you know your God. That you know him. That you know him as possessor of heaven and earth. That God is your reward. That even if he asks you to do this and this and this. To give up this and this and this. Or uh, not to give in to this and this and this. That you will do it knowing that his intentions for you are great. That is what it means to have faith in God. And he considered that God was able even to rise him from the dead. So Abraham had the, he believed God that God would rise his son from the dead. From which figuratively uh, speaking, he did receive him back. So Abraham entered into his rest. Hebrews will tell us that. Hebrews 11. Abraham entered into his rest. So my question is, are you, how are you entering into the rest of God? Don't live for your own wills, uh, ambitions, your own personal desires. How are you spending your time? How are you spending uh, your life? What is informing the ideas for you to do that masters? What is informing the idea for you to move careers? What is informing that? Is it that you, uh, you've seen great wealth potential? Is that what is informing you? Or is the will of the Father informing you? Are you the kind who... Uh, thinks of something, prays about it, then uh, asks God uh, wh what he wants, or are you the one who will just seek his face? And as you're seeking his face, he just leaves some good trails of promises and that you just follow them. And as you're following them, the story of God is seen in your life. God bless you. So that's it from us from The Perfect Week. Don't forget to follow us on all our digital platforms. The link will be provided in the description. See you next week. God bless.